welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Liu Shishin's Death's End, the third and final part of the Remembrance Earth Pass series. This is season five, episode two, The Sword Holders, where we'll be discussing the first half of part two. We previously discussed the three-body problem and the dark forest, and the hosts have varying levels of knowledge on this book and the series. My name is Dan, and I have read the entire series. This is Tim, and I've only read up to the current week's readings. This is Amin. I've also only read up to the current week's readings, but along with Dan and Talia, I also co-host the Rehydrate spoiler cast. So if you have read the entire series or you're like me and you don't care about spoilers, you should check that out as well. And in addition to the spoiler cast, we also have an interview series that we do on occasion for the show. And I just posted an interesting one with a translator who has translated some of Shin's work, not the Remembers Earth Path series, but some of those other short stories, specifically in the Wandering Earth collection and the Hold Up the Sky collection. And his name is Adam, and it's up now, so you should listen to it. I think it's a very interesting conversation. So for this episode, we are going to talk about part two. So we start out with the Bronze Age. One of the surviving ships from the Battle of Darkness returns back to the Earth. After being told that they would be welcomed back as heroes since they were among the only survivors of the droplet attack, the warm welcome is not meant to be, and as soon as they enter the dock, the entire crew is put into trial for crimes against humanity. During the trial, it was revealed that over 94% of the crew voted to attack the Quantum during the Battle of Darkness. And even more gruesomely, they filled their food storage with the remains of the crew that they killed. Nearly the entire crew is convicted, but one of the members manages to send a communication to the other survivor of the Battle of Darkness, Blue Space, to tell them not to come back. In response, Gravity, a new fleet ship equipped with a gravitational wave antenna, is sent to pursue the blue space along with two trisolarum droplets. Cheng Xin awakes from hibernation after 264 years, now 61 years into the deterrence era, and she finds a much different world than the one she had left. The world is much more feminized to the point where she has a hard time telling males and females apart. Humans and trisolarians are working together and sharing science and culture, and the star that she was gifted by Yin Tian Ming turns out to have planets after all. The planets were discovered by an astronomy PhD named IAA. Chongqing comes to an arrangement with the UN to sell the planets and license the star's energy, but retains the star herself, since she doesn't want to sell which, that which, which was a gift. With the large proceeds, she and AA form a new company. In the years since Luoji discovered and implemented deterrence, he now singularly holds the deterrence mechanism, now a gravitational wave broadcast system. At over 100 years old, and suspected of Mundicide for his spell, the public urges someone else to be elected to take over what is called Swordholder. One person who very much wants the job is the PIA chief Thomas Wade, who also hibernated. He fears that Cheng Xin would beat him out for the role, despite her not even being aware of what it is, and tricks her into a secluded area and shoots her with a common era gun, only to be stopped by AA and police before he can kill her. Meanwhile, in the vicinity of the Oort Cloud, gravity nearly catches up with blue space when the crew notices some strange phenomena, from holes in walls, micrometeorites, and large parts of the ship disappearing temporarily, the crew isn't sure what to make of it. After blue space surrenders, gravity receives an alert that droplets are attacking. Chang Xin, who feels a maternal sense of protection for this new world, eventually wins the election as the new sword holder to succeed Luo Ji. She meets Luo Ji in the bunker deep underground, for the handover ceremony, where he has been literally wall-facing for over half a century to keep the Trisolarians at bay. However, her new position is only destined to last a mere 15 minutes. So we're getting more into the meat of this book, and so we're introduced to a whole bunch of new characters um, that will going to be continuing following the rest of 
characters and ships that will be continuing throughout the rest of this book. So first is IAA, and her first name is a Chinese character, but it's I, and she is an astronomy PhD and Chung Xin's business partner. Neil Scott is the captain of the Bronze Age that was tricked into coming back. Uh, Sofan, which is a robot controlled by the Sofans that takes the appearance of a Japanese woman and serves as a Tricelaran ambassador. We have Bi Yunfeng, Cao Bing, Ivan Antonov, AJ Hopkins are the other swordholder candidates. Dr. West, who is the psychiatrist aboard Gravity. Guan Fan, who is a civilian scholar aboard Gravity. And finally, the ships that we are following in this chapter, we have the Bronze Age, the ship that escaped the droplet attack and killed the crew of the Quantum during the Battle of Darkness, Blue Space, the ship that pursued Zhang Beihai and Natural Selection and now is beyond the Orc Club, and Gravity, the new ship that, along with other with the two other droplets, pursues Blue Space. So let's jump into discussion. So the first part that we have in this episode is the part about the Bronze Age. So I know, I know, Tim. Like last time we talked to you, had said that like, oh, I think we're going to the Bronze Age. But hopefully, you remembered that is the the other ship <laughs> that was a part of it. They had weird names, but um, and I know uh, our other co-host Holly really likes this chapter and you know gives it a lot of color and has interesting um, interesting narration technique of like sort of like a court transcript was much different from the rest of the, the the series. But it gives kind of color around what what the humanity's reaction would be to something like this, uh, to Battle of Darkness, like. I, you know, I wasn't sure before if like they would be okay with it or understand, you know, at least understand what happened, but they are not okay with it. <laughs> they, you know, much like a lot of different things, they put them on crime, put them on trial for crimes against humanity. So anyway, give you guys a chance to talk. What would you guys think of this part about the Bronze Age? Well, yeah, right. You're right. I hope I can be forgiven that <laughs> um, I forgot the name of the, it was the name of the ship. I mean, after the, you know, trip back to Constantinople, I thought like, oh, Maria's, yeah. You know, <laughs> We're doing some Stanley Kubrick stuff, and we're just like going all the way back to. There's only like a billion ships, so yeah. you can be forgiven for forgetting one. <laughs> but yeah, this is an interesting uh, start to this whole you know section, you know, which I think this 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 whole section in general was like very uneven to me. It, like this, you know, there's a like a lot of wheel spinning and set up a lot of good world building here, as well as like a lot of stuff that seemed unnecessary to me but yeah this part uh was pretty interesting to me i like anything that kind of delves into the the psychology of just kind of being lost in space or just in this sort of situation so i thought this part was pretty cool yeah and everyone like acted like it's just natural like well yeah of course like we ate the people like that's what the other that's what everyone would do <laughs> like it's just like their their behavior right. flipped so suddenly yeah well they make the you know the east like they they make the point running people on earth you know say that they start to see people who have you know in this situation as like no longer human you know it seems like this is a big maybe philosophical point he's making or a point about human psychology you know that he's trying to make here is that once you're under these uh well i mean they seem to you know think that 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 being human means having this connection to earth and that if you are removed from any concerns or like your sense of ethics or your you know like what's important to you is divorced from anything happening on earth that you are no longer human anymore which you know i don't really necessarily buy like i can sort of see the idea i mean obviously like they're you know them on the ship 
like they have an entirely different set of concerns and th things that they have to worry about now. Like that's their entire world is this and their entire survival hinges on the decisions they make here, you know, so I can understand. I mean, maybe not eating people, but, <laughs> but like it's the same situation as, you know, like uh, when, uh, I mean, we've had plenty of movies about it. We had the one about the, the rugby team that, you know, got stranded in the Andes and had to eat their teammate. I don't think that necessarily makes you inhuman. I don't know. I, I guess I really didn't care for this section. So I agree with Tim that I like the parts about the world building. But and I know I said last time that I would let go of the character stuff, but I don't remember any of these characters from before. And I don't think we're going to see any of these characters again. So while it was interesting about them being tricked into coming back to Earth, it really... Um, in my mind, I understand how it moved the plot forward, but it didn't really do any character development for me. So I was less less impressed with this section than I thought I would be. So I don't think that we did meet any of the characters on on the ship themselves uh, before this. So right. we, we didn't we didn't know about any of these characters. So like these characters are, are new to us. Like the ship was around, but it was you know kind of more just a <laughs> ship name, right? Right. So the the fact that um, I forget his name, the fact that Neil Scott was, you know, trying to stand up for his crew and was willing to take the fall and all that, like that was all nice and heroic. But ultimately, he's kind of a throwaway character because we don't know what actually, not that I mind not knowing what actually happened, but I, I don't feel like we're going to get closure on that story. Um, and we could talk about it in the spoiler cast, if you like, but um, again, I think it was fine. It was just I just thought this part was uh, unconnected to the rest of the of the story for me, anyway. The, I mean, this the Bronze Age part or the entire the entire. Uh... Um, most of it, uh, the Bronze Age part especially. So, so I like the part where they talked about how the Trisolaran culture has changed, how they've learned to they learned from humans just as humans had learned from them. Mm. Um, the so so I liked I liked all of that. The, the part about Wade, the part about the other sword holders, Luo Ji's sitting in the in the room as the sword holder for 50 years or whatever, like all of that stuff was, I think, could have been cut or at least tightened a little bit. Yeah, I've come to expect the style of this series is that there's really only a couple characters that act as your sort of anchor to the, to the story and that he will consistently like introduce characters, not for the sake of your investment in their character themselves, but just to make a point, present this scenario, which he has ideas about, and they're just sort of vehicles for this, for these ideas. Like he really bites off, you know, we've talked about this before. He like likes to bite off a lot of different concepts and give his take on both scientific concepts and, space psychology concepts and the logistics of space travel and all that and it feels like you know like the author really wants to make a point about a, a broad number of you know topics and doesn't hesitate to create chapters like this to sort of dine on space psychology of being lost in, a, in this confined space i've kind of come to accept that he will just kind of create these characters just for the sake of making these points i think he also dives a lot into like earth um, psychology and like just humanity psychology in general and just yeah. kind of like group think um, you see that a couple of times in this chapter too of like how humanity is super fickle like I, I like the the chap the part where 
the like after they they realized about the dark forest principle that humanity like freaks out and like shuts down all communication and like declares like any radio broadcast a crime against humanity <laughs> uh, sure it just seemed yeah. like something earth would do you know like kind of like a super overreaction and then after after, after a while people are just like ah it's all right <laughs> I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, surprised at just how dedicated to the rule of law, though everybody is. You know, <laughs> now it's, it just seems like a lot of effort to go and just, you know, bring these, you know, like trick these ships, these, you know, couple of ships that got away, and yeah, you know, bring them back to get to to put them on trial. Same thing with uh, Lua G. It's like, okay, you, you know, you're. A, hundred years old and you've sat there you know like now right. we're, we're still going to put you on trial for well my favorite new word here yeah undecide undecide i don't know if you made that up but like it's it's awesome <laughs> i mean it's i looked it i looked it up it's a it's a word i don't know if he invented it but yeah it's not it's, it's not, not like a it's not wikipedia word. now yeah <laughs> so i think i mean t to me like the reason that humanity i mean it, it is a big elaborate plan to kind of bring them back and trick them and like have all like the revelers in there and be like oh you guys are great and then like everyone just like immediately shuts down <laughs> i mean it's kind of it's kind of a it's artificial scenario but i think the reason the reason behind it all is because they don't want what they feel as like non-humans at this point representing humanity in in space right so like they're trying to get them back so like that right. version of humanity if you know we we have to in, uh, invoke turrence and the earth gets destroyed then that will be the only part of humanity left and they're, they're not even considered humans anymore so i think that's why they they went to such lengths to to trick them and bring them back because like they weren't coming back anyway uh, i'm not sure why the another part was like they were unconvinced that they're going to go back until the sofans uh came and like and unfolded in front of them and then they're like okay the, the sofans like you know help us communicate so we'll go back like obviously why quick on the sofans just trick them right i guess at that point they didn't know the tri the sofan or the trislarians had the ability to lie now but yeah it, it is a kind of convoluted plan but i do like like tim were saying like the the kind of more high-minded kind of like space the the consequences of space right and that's why i like this chapter like i mean i think there were there were like vestigial parts of this that like i didn't really care for like i don't you know like the thing with wade trying to kill her like i mm. i mean maybe he comes maybe he's being set up as a villain or comes back in some way and all that but like i, I don't know I, I didn't really like didn't understand the point of you know that as well as like the whole like i i, I don't know why uh the the different candidates for the solar sword holders like where these you know people came from and why they only seem to choose uh how they were chosen chosen and why they only seem to choose like i suppose common era people or i forget what the terminology they use for yeah common um, era yeah common era people for this um i mean i think i think what it was is like they considered the common era people to like i mean because lua g is a common era person right and like he is effectively you know like him or not based off of his mundicide or what have you um you know he has been an effective deterrence to the point where you know, it seems like there's like a peace now between Earth and Tresolaris because of the Tresolaris or because of the deterrence factor, right? They want to get rid of the G, but they want to keep that 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 kind of threat. Right. But or some people do, right? But that's why Chengxin is a is a eventually elected because they think they don't really need it anymore. So they want a more a more maternal kind of person, person who's not going to be like as like as harsh as the G, and definitely not as harsh as someone like Wade. Or you know, and the other people are sort of like in the same spectrum as Wade, it seems. Right, but they don't—they don't seem to think that anybody from their era has the right stuff to. Yeah, 
Yes. Um, all the weak-hearted yeah, the whole... uh, new children. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody's uh, all feminized here, I guess. Which is, yeah, this is definitely like the weirdest part of it. Is yeah, <laughs> is the this notion that like men have been feminized? Like, is this? Uh, I imagine out there in the discourse about this series that there's probably a lot of discussion of this. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely up. You know, there's a common you know theme of and the criticism around misogyny and that kind of stuff, and this definitely comes up in in that discussion. I mean, I think it's trying to convey a point maybe that like common era people are like more simple and like more primitive, you know, um, where the future people are kind of more evolved and like the appearance and like doesn't really matter or like maybe like more you know, like soft-hearted or, or what have you that, that's that that's what my my take on it was that's interesting so so my my read of that was more it, it was more that I, from a from a larger scale perspective it was it was more that the i don't know how to say this that the characteristics of the genders were were converging and that's that's kind of how I read it, and and it would have been I don't know maybe my hypothesis would be would be supported if he had said something about the women becoming more I don't know quote unquote masculine whatever that means, but I, I took it you know over hundreds of years that everyone's just converging to a way of being and of acting more 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 than this is just men becoming more effeminate which which I also understand that reading of it. I think it's because specifically like, you know, they keep talking about like how common era men are like, you know, like look so much different, look so much like more primitive. Right. And that, that comes up a couple of different times. So that's, I think that's why I take it that way. Yeah. I'm not sure if I take it that, you know, he's just uh, saying like, Oh, gender, you know, traditional gender roles or, you know, like ideas of gender are going to break down in the future. Like I, I do feel like there's a bit of like, paranoid well he has a section i think he when he first talks about this like he has a section about how oh already in the 1980s or something like that men were changing or becoming yeah feminine so like i i do feel like there's a bit of like insecurity being extrapolated in here and and i also think the way so the sofan the, the character i think the way he wrote about her was also I don't know the right word, but it was also weird to me. Like it, it seemed, it seemed not lecherous, but in a way, almost lecherous. And again, I'm sure, I'm sure she will have more to do and say. But, but so far, all we know about her is her, her physical appearance, basically. And she's really into the way of tea. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They spent a long time doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, like, you know, he's a Chinese author, so like, what. Well, you know, the Chinese and, and Japanese haven't had necessarily good relations, but, you know, he's probably conveying like some, because like there's a lot, of, a lot of American stereotypes, right? Like kind of like for brash and, you know, kind of dumb and <laughs> militaristic, right? So like now he's like, he's he has this Japanese character and we had another Japanese character too in Street Fighter Problem who was kind of more elegant. Um, and now we have another one who's like way more elegant, even though it's not really a Japanese person, but she's taking the form of a Japanese person, right? And like going through like these ceremonies and like these really intricate kind of details. So um, I wonder if he's conferring like his thinking about how Japanese people are onto onto her and that's why he has it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing in the you know in the West. I think there's always been a bit of like a fetishization of like Japanese women in a you know in a sense. You know, um, mm. I do think that's going on here as well. Like, it's interesting to me that someone Chinese background as well, but as you say, you know, said like historically they've had you know a very 
not great relations as well. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of stereotypes back and forth between Chinese and Japanese as well. Yeah. I mean, he's probably seen all the same movies we have, you know, with like the cool Japanese people, <laughs> you know, all the anime or whatever. So like, I'm, I'm sure it just comes from that kind of background. Right. And also speaking of the Trisolarians, like, I mean, you mentioned that you liked the part about the Trisolarian uh, cultural and scientific exchanges. So I guess, why did you like that part? Um, I, I, th I thought that was a good bit of world building just to show how, how this cold war can, can evolve. Um, I, I just thought it was an, an interesting way of, and, and even used even used the the U.S. Soviet Cold War as he referenced it in there. So to me, I was thinking it would be, I, I don't know that the U.S. and the Soviets had that much of a technology exchange, but right. <laughs> it, it just seemed like an interesting part of the truce or treaty that they have between them, and and how they could help each other. And and I also liked how the humans were. We're kind of demanding things of the Trisolarians more than just having it be a mutual exchange. So, so I, I just, I just thought from a, from a sociological or political perspective, I, I enjoyed that little bit of detail to the world building. Honestly, it's kind of scary to me, in the sense that, like, I don't know what the Trisolarians game is here, but uh, the previous, you know, the previous book, um, you know, was all about how like humans primary advantage against the trisolarians is you know like we know how to lie we know how to be sneaky we know how to be subtle you know and the trisolarians are very uh blunt and don't know the meaning of uh of, of of deceit or you know not just a lot but i would think you know like you think of them as just very very literal right. and not the sort of like creatures that would you know like the beings that would have like sophisticated art you know i kind of feel like the ability to lie or the ability you know that part of us is in some way the, the part of us that can create art or create nuanced you know beautiful things and this like if they've got if they've you know not only learned how to lie but like they can like create art and cultural you know stuff that's you know so as, as, as sophisticated as ours and isn't like you know ham-fisted or blunt or you know childlike or anything like that i feel like they just completely leapfrogged any you know any uh anything yeah. we might have over them so like them doing this like kind of nice like cultural exchange uh you know like softening us up might be just like you know they might be the biggest lie of all from uh, setting us up to <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange. Maybe that's a strange read of it, but you know. No, I think I mean it's yeah. Like they now have the ability to just to completely butter us up. Yeah, I mean like that's our biggest advantage, right? That you know we can have things like wall based program and we can, uh, you know, hide things from them and and yeah, and, like, and, you know, we, and do be, be we deceitful. We have a certain mental sophistication over them, right? Know, right. If not technological, and now it doesn't seem like we have that anymore. Right. Right. They're not only as devious, but as uh, artistic as we are. Yeah, yeah, they seem even better that you know at it than we are. <laughs> I'm very in yeah, like I, I really kind of hope we kind of learn the explanation as to how they could like create uh you know or make movies featuring realistic humans. Like, these is this just all CG based on what they know? You know, uh, yeah, really sophisticated CG about what they've been able to you know glean from humans or, or what if i remember right hopefully this is the right chapter um but uh, i think they even mentioned like human human like uh yeah, humanity is sort of having an influence on their culture too and kind of changing their culture as well um and like, maybe but again 
maybe that's yeah. just the biggest lie of all. Could be, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, but it seems like they they like humanity so much that like they started emulating the style of art, and like maybe because their technology is so advanced, they're able to yeah do really really fancy CG and like have re- like they're able to make a, a basically an AI robot who lives on Earth, right? I guess I just don't trust him to not just not go to a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it also seems they're sharing a lot of technology with us. And, and I mean, really, like, the, ultimately, it seems like deterrence is, has been working for the past 60 years, right? Like, they know that they need us to not uh, enact, enact deterrence. Um, and so they're sharing, they, they, they unblock the, the SOFON locks so scientific progress can continue again. They give us the means for, like, gravitational wave antennas. They give us, um, you know, all this, like, stuff you know, just to, you know, make sure that we have this cooperation. And it seems like humanity is kind of being lulled into another sense of uh, of security because of it, right? So, like, that's why when they they need to elect a new sword holder, they go after someone like Chung Xing and say, like, "Oh, we, you know, we're 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 cool with the Trisolarians now. We're all we're all friends." So it's it's based off the end of this chapter. We don't know uh, because the dropout attack, uh, or they said that the dropout is gonna, is attacking the gravity and blue space, right? You know, why is it attacking right now? I don't know, like. Maybe that's a misunderstanding, or who knows? I guess we'll find out. Well, they they also closed this by saying that saying that her, I don't know, tenure right. as as the sword holder lasted all of fifteen fifteen minutes. So clearly, Cheng Xin is something's going to happen. Yeah, I mean that it definitely it seems that way. So you, you I, picked I a like, good you picked a good stopping point, by the way. Uh, yeah, yes. it was a good. Uh, <laughs> good cliffhanger there but yeah I, w- I would i would hope so because you know her another 50, 50 years of her staring at a wall would be pretty boring uh so. right right yeah speaking of that so i mean like we had talked about before like uh lua g was the the character that you would prefer to be if you were to choose a character and like talia and i kind of like i don't know this and that's why <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like sitting in front of a wall for 50 years cross-legged and not and losing your ability to talk doesn't seem like a no that life. <laughs> no that does not <laughs> it seems like a pretty high price to pay for a few yeah. years in an isolated cabin so i i might change my answer <laughs> and he loses his family because of it and like he barely loses everything right but yeah he, feel, he feels this responsibility to humanity to um to be the sword holder because basically no one else can do it and the trisolarians like I, I like the the parts where they talk about like him kind of having a standoff and like even like when he like exits, he like gives a bow to the tri- to the wall. You know, it's basically his opponents and like kind of is acting like yeah. a samurai and he has like the kind of long hair, like the the guy in uh, Kill Bill, you know, I was like picture. That's that exactly way. what I imagined him like. <laughs> yeah, oh, Pai Mei, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think he care you know, I don't I don't think he cares that he's on trial. Yeah, it's like anything's better than yeah, anything whatever you do to me now is better than this. So if they even like as he's walking out, they're like, Hey Lodgy, you're under arrest and he just like walks right past him. <laughs> Like, what are you going to do to me? You know, it's like, um, so, but were you guys happy to see um, him come back and, it, you know, kind of a, a bigger through line uh, between the last book and have like a, a kind of like a, a more of an ending than we've had from other characters? Like, you know, we never had anything follow up from Wang Miao. So now we have like um, at least a continuation of, of Vladry's story. We can kind of see what happened in the past uh, 50 years or so. I did like that. And I liked the way that the author wasn't explicit about like what happened to his family. It was either it was this scenario where they ran away or this other scenario where he sent them off. I th- I thought that was, Oh yeah. I thought that was well done rather than just being more ham fisted with it. Like he usually is. So um, <laughs> I, I, I liked, I liked this 
part of his story. Yeah, I think it was an interesting end for him, especially considering, you know, the kind of person he was before, kind of a selfish playboy type. So him just kind of becoming this, uh, I, I guess, ascetic uh, monk in the extreme. Um, right. It was an you know, interesting turn. But yeah, I, know, I think it's a good send off for him. If it is a send off, you know. Yeah, I think he even mentions like, uh, you know, he had like a hedonistic life or whatever before. And like now he's like totally dedicated to preserving the peace, even though humanity doesn't even like him, you know, doesn't even give him credit to do, you know, for doing it. Right. Like they want to put him on trial. He doesn't care. He just knows that like his job now is to is to protect humanity against against Trisolaris and, and keep the peace. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is when we get back onto the blue space and and gravity, and so the events that uh, out past the what they call the Oracle Cloud, which is the space outside of the solar system. So we start seeing some pretty strange events. We see um, you know holes in walls. We see a micrometeorite with no hole, no holes in the the hole, but like puncturing the the food tube or something. And then another guy observes like the like half of the ship missing. Uh, but then it just goes away. So any ideas what's happening there? No, but I'm always into space horror. <laughs> it is yeah. space horror. I think especially yeah. like when he sees the girl he likes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like yeah, half of her is missing and she can, he can like see inside of her body. Like, well. yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, if you know, they're, <laughs> they're encountering weird little pocket dimensions or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I, I have obviously I have no idea what he's going for here or, you know, what's causing this or, you know, um, but I like, yeah. I like the idea that this is all happening. Like once we're, you know, he's past the orc cloud and in deep, deep space where, you know, like does, you know, reality break down in between, you know, like solar systems and the space there where uh, it's cool. But I hope he follows up on this and like we get some sort of explanation for it. That's not just uh, everybody's going nuts on the ship. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty uh well worn trope, right? Of just people going crazy in space, like like Ren and Stimpy, space madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I'm always disappointed when a scary supernatural thing is just is all in somebody's mind, you know, or it's just mm -hmm. all a dream. It's... But I mean it's pretty widespread, right? It's like happening to all these like right. different people. It seems like uh something's happening, right? Like it, it's not isolated to one person. We think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something is happening, and it's not as he says. You know, like uh, I don't. I don't know if they're. This is where uh, this universe interacts with other universes and weird little, you know, like other dimensions, and you get bubbles or something like that that occur in our universe. You know, our universe, because you know, he says like you know he sticks like the the violin bow into it, it disappears, but the you know it doesn't break. Hmm. You know, so uh, it's not like it's destroying anything something is existing on the other side of it i I'm, I'm just i just wish he would have you know had the guts to you know stick his head in <laughs> i mean yeah and the, the other girl was okay too right like he saw yeah. like her body cut in half and then like yeah <laughs> i mean that that part was pretty funny like he like goes and he's like he has like the super crush on her and like goes and talk to her <laughs> like slams the door in his face right <laughs> yeah I, I i thought visually this was this was the best part of this this section um mm when and if they make this into a real tv show i think that's going to be it's it reminded me of kind of uh, in t2 i guess was the first time it happened when like arnold schwarzenegger comes back from time and he's, there's a sphere and it you know cleanly cuts the pickup and all those kinds of things that's that's kind of how i envision this but 
on a much yeah. larger scale. This part is like one of the things that was in my mind too, of like, how are they going to do that in an effective way? <laughs> like, they, like some of the, you know, there'll be a lot more of, of those kind of, when I initially came up with how would they film this, it was almost entirely focused on this book. And like, so we see like a lot, you know, even in Constantinople, like, how are they going to film that? Like, I guess like, well, that's, that's not too bad, right? Like, how do you film like a guy's brain disappearing or, you know, like some of the other stuff, but like this, this is, that's when we get into really hard sciencey stuff. I was just thinking, you know, if you, if you encountered that and like, you know, you stuck a pencil in and you pull it out, and it came, you know, you know, comes back whole on it. Just wouldn't you have the, you know, wouldn't you have the temptation to then like stick your arm in and then see what, you know, see if know. it comes back intact. And then, and then if you might, you know, your arm came back, would you just stick your head in and see what the hell is on the other side of this? Uh, I don't know. If there, if there was a random... <laughs> <laughs> like a random hole somewhere that was very crazy. Like, I don't know if I would stick any part of my body in there, even if I even if I put the violent. No, I, I think I would be too curious, especially if I was like you know just in the middle of a ship and like what else do I have to lose? This place sucks, you know. I'm just gonna float out. I mean, I'm gonna either float in space forever and, and die out here, or I'm gonna see what's on the other side of this extra dimensional hole. I think I'd do it. <laughs> How about you, Amin? What would you do? I would be curious enough to at least, at least stick my, yeah, stick my head in there at least just to see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you'd certainly stick your pinky in if it came yeah. back fine, if it burn off at the tip. You guys are more adventurous than me. I probably would not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of comparison, so we had a lot of different people types, right, that were uh, candidates for the sword holder, where we, we had yeah, that super example of Wade. And then we had like kind of the candidates in the middle and then Chung Sheen is sort of on the other end. Like everyone's like, ah, she's nice and she she probably won't activate the turrets or won't even need to. Where do you think you guys would fall in the in the spectrum of being able to, you know, given the fact that there is a turrets, you know, would you be confident in yourself to be able to push that button in case like something did happen? I'll, I'll go first and say I would not. <laughs> I would not be a very good candidate for that. I would be too freaked out about it and... It just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. So I would not be a good candidate for us for sword holder, I think. Yeah. I mean, I like the little point about how it actually took like a sequence of, you know. Oh yeah. You, you know, uh, like, you know, like four button presses or, or whatever like that. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have to put some thought into it before you did, you know, because uh, like if it was just a single, like hit this button, blah, 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 you know, I could see, you know, myself, you know panicking enough and all that you know like it was just that simple act you know it's like like it was just something you could do reflexively maybe doing it you know it's like well this is you know i i have no connection like especially if i'm in the middle of a, a bunker 50 miles down to the earth's crust and i have no connection to anything else other than my entire life is me and this button and just hit it just to do something different um <laughs> <laughs> but if you had to like put some thought into it and you know take a you know second to realize the consequences of what you're doing yeah i yeah, feel like i, I mean, would it's... i would be second guessing myself too much in order to be an effective sword holder like i would uh, i would hesitate and you know not want to accidentally do it or like want more information or think about it more or whatever and just like i would never actually activate it so i'm pretty sure i'd be terrible sword I mean, holder. if they're putting you in that situation you know or at least in that environment where you're just isolated for it you get the signal and then you just have to hit the button and do the thing then you know yeah nobody's entrusting you to care about the context you know yeah that would that would be my thing as well i would always be seeking more information so unless it was very clear that i'm supposed to push the button i think i'd i'd hold off until i was absolutely certain because that seems like a pretty big mistake to make yeah 
<laughs> I mean, at least Trisolaris is going to get destroyed because of it, right? And yeah. maybe Earth, if they can figure out like where it came from, and they probably can, based off if it's just gravitational wave antennas, like those or originate from somewhere, right? So probably they would know both, you know, both systems and just just destroy all. If the dark forest principle is real, right, they'd probably just destroy both systems. So. Mm-hmm. I couldn't deal with that kind of responsibility. <laughs> I mean, even like you think about like the people who worked in like the the bunkers, like the missile silos, right? Like they would just get codes from the president or whoever, right? Yeah. And just like act on them. So like they're not even making decisions. They're just there to like validate that the, the decision came in, right? So this is like sort of a combination. Like this is like as if a president had the button in his hand to to destroy a uh, you know the Soviet Union or whatever have you know from back in the day. So it's it's too much responsibility for me. Too much consequential. I, I I can only be you know responsible for inconsequential things like websites or whatever. <laughs> Plus, then you'd be then you'd be accused of mundicide if you screwed up. That is true. Well, people would be dead anyway, so the earth the earth would probably be destroyed. So huh? probably yeah, that's... they'd be having the orgies and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd be they'd that... be too busy to prosecute you. Right, right, right. Although you're still banking on you know this whole dark forest thing being correct you know like it'd take a while you know it'd take a long time i think for you to find you know like for yeah. uh, you actually find out you know you sig- you know you send out this you know you broadcast your location and all that and then you know you you probably still have a lot of like generations to go before you get any sort of response or is that true though like like he sent the spell out like the star that he sent the spell out on was 50 light years away right and then he found out like only like 100 years later because it takes you know 50 years to for the or was it 50 years or it, it seemed pretty quick to for someone to pick up that the the spell and destroy that planet and then we were able to get that that information back so i don't know that it would take generations i mean i i, I get the sense that like people are out there like not that far away or maybe have more advanced monitoring techniques or something at least from the spell right but i mean what why would they even just you know want to destroy you other than you know like destroy your planet i mean maybe there would just be more you know another type of you know like the trisolarans just another alien coming to take you over because hey life supporting planet there you know i just feel like you know yeah even if he did hit the button and then went out you know it would take some time and there would be earth would go through another era of some some people doubting that it's ever going to happen. Some people, you know, factions forming that uh, yes, is there absolutely something's absolutely going to come and destroy us? And then another faction saying, well, what if they're coming and they'll they'll be maybe maybe they're friendlier than the Trisolarians? Another faction will believe that it's just going to be a giant laser beam Death Star that comes comes to comes to destroy us. But yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't. Yeah, like I, 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 don't, I don't think that you know like you're sort of putting a lot of faith in the, like you know the idea of like immediate dis- and assured destruction yeah you know this whole theory being correct so that might that, that would affect my uh willingness to hit or not hit the button in some way as well i think uh Luigi specifically he like he obviously believes in the dark forest principle so right. um he would he would have that, that that weight of that decision of like thinking like if I do press this deterrence like I am gonna, right. you know I am gonna incur at least Trisolar is gonna be destroyed if not the Earth too if they figure out where the transmission is coming from, and that's the only evidence really they have right is like he sent the spell the planet got destroyed almost you know almost immediately after that message got out there, right. but yeah who knows like maybe maybe the dark force principle is you know maybe we got lucky that way or you know quote unquote lucky <laughs> like it was a, a coincidence who knows right yeah 
it seems kind of dumb to me to just you know blow up a life supporting planet just for you know sake. But uh, yeah, but uh, maybe they don't need but it. Maybe, you know? But but maybe there's more life supporting planet that you know it's not as valuable as I think. You know, you being an Earthling and this is the you know. Yeah, I mean, already like Chungqing Star has three planets that are I think one of them yeah. is habitable, right? So you know, and that was only found out because. They have uh, the more advanced monitoring, uh, the, the the telescope that the AA made. Uh, she's able to find that using new techniques. So, and that planet is not that far either, right? So maybe there's a lot more planets than we've been, because right now, like we're only able to determine planets based off of like wobble, right? The, in the in in light waves with more advanced technology and a more advanced monitoring capability, we, it's probably like you know billions and billions of planets out there that are life supporting. We just can't see them. And uh, so speaking of deterrence and Chengxin, you know, at the end of the chapter, we see the blue or the gravity gets an alert saying there's a droplet attack. We have, you know, it seems like the Trisolarans like maybe are preparing for an attack. So do you think if they really are preparing for an attack that Chengxin would activate deterrence based off of what you know about her? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things I thought was, again, a nice touch was they described how how Uji had his his cave set up and it was it was completely Spartan and he was just focused on one thing and when when she came in they told her that you know she can add stuff in here to make it more comfortable and she later on she, they said something like she looked around and she thought that would be a good idea she wanted to make it more comfortable in there which means she she is less focused on the job than Uji would be yeah. and yeah so so even if I didn't know what was going to happen from the spoiler cast, I would still assume that she was not going to do great at this. Yeah, I don't. I I don't think she would either. Obviously, like her talk about her maternal sense. Yeah, I I don't. I, I like. I just don't think that she would you know, like be that 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 quick to pull the trigger. Well, they said that they only have what ten minutes to you know based off of like where the the probes are to hit that button and make it effective, right? Yeah. So she's gonna have to. Make the next make it make a decision in the next couple minutes here. <laughs> right, but yeah, but she's definitely not. She's I wouldn't say like soft hearted or whatever, you know. But uh, mm. but I don't think like considering how she like dealt with the situation with uh, forgetting his name, the the, the brain in space. Uh, uh, Yantian, yeah, yeah, Tian and you know like um, you know how she didn't want to like sell sell the star and all that. Like I think she has like you know maybe enough sentimentality in her. I don't think she would just pull the trigger that fast. Or would hesitate. Dan, you have to go way back in your memory bank for this. But do you remember what your reaction was when she became the sword holder? Were you like, "Oh, nuts! This is all going to go badly," or were you were you pretty confident she would figure it out? I thought she would figure it out. I guess like I didn't have this natural this break here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, just, I continued uh, throughout the book, and you know, like we find out what happens, like. It's not a spoiler. On next episode, we'll find out what happens. The, so like they they talk about it a lot, and um, yeah. So I I immediately continued. So I didn't have that much chance to think about it. I think. Um, but Got it. I guess I guess like mm, I'm more of an optimistic person, and I always figure that it's going to work out. And maybe that hasn't been. I guess there's not there's not a lot of like reason for me to hope that it's good things are going to work out based off of this. The rest of this because the series kind of throws you for loops, right? Like you think of like. Oh yeah, cool. We got the droplet. We got the trisolarians under under control. We had to kill this one droplet. No big deal, right? And then it's like, well, that didn't happen. So like, I don't know why I have uh, kind of the optimism 
but I guess I just assume like, you know, she seems to be the main character. She's, you know, they're probably gonna, she's probably gonna step up the occasion and, you know, push that button. If, if, if the droplets are really attacking or maybe it's a misunderstanding or, or what have you. Yeah. It's at the point where it's like, I expect my, my, I expect my expectations to be subverted in some way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's like why I don't really have necessarily a good answer as to whether she'd pull it or not. I think it's kind of like, I, I don't think whatever, whatever's coming beyond this has anything to do personally with whether she pulls it or not. I think something else happens or something. Hmm. I mean, that's, I guess my immediate prediction for what the immediate next chapter or something is that, you know, something happened that obviates the need to pull the trigger or, hmm have this in place i guess we'll find out we'll find out next episode all right well any final thoughts or things you other things you guys want to talk about and related to this episode in general i can't you know like looking back on the series i can't believe we're this far into the series and you still haven't seen a trisolarian yet i guess my question <laughs> we, to you guys, so fun <laughs> yeah i guess but my, my question to you guys is that at this point you know like um you know, especially you, Dan, like, do you remember, do you remember like at what your mental image of a Trisolarian was at this point before, you know, like at this point, like, did you have a mental image of them? So you know? I always assumed they were kind of like big grayish, silverish reflective blobs that had like shiny heads because like they always talked about like they're using light for communication. So like, I'm trying to think of, I have like this, this is a cartoon image in my mind and it might be from like Aqua Teen Hunger Force or something. <laughs> they have like these blobs and like, they look like amoebas, but like they're like human size, right? But like, they, they kind of like go up a little bit and like they have like reflective heads that like kind of shine light. That's that that would, that's always been my, that that was, you know, through a three body problem and, and whatever, like that's, that's that was the image that formed in my mind is what they actually look like. And then they could also, in that state, they could pretty easily dehydrate, right? They can kind of flatten up and, you know, be stored and, and whatever. That was a, that was that what was in my mind. So you didn't have like an anthropomorphized idea of you know. No, I don't think so. It was always yeah more more kind of blobby. <laughs> yeah, I guess I asked that question because I realized up to this point, even though I've like thought about like, well, when are we going to see the Trisolarians? I've never like formed like a, a a mental image of what they were, other than in the well, I mean, other than in the goofiest sense from the you know the the initial three body problem game, I just sort of like. I don't know, humans or humanoids that just like flattened out like color forms or something when they dehydrated and they're <laughs> right. talking about stacking them on top of, you know, so I don't, you know, and that might be our, that was probably the game's humans in, interpretation of that, but. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they did that as the recruiting tool, right? So yeah, I, I never assumed they look like human-like that, yeah, I, from right. my, in my mind, they're always, yeah, blobby. How about you? I mean, any of any images in your mind of what a trisolarian looks like? No, I I am unimaginative. So unless <laughs> unless the author is going to describe it, I just imagine all aliens look like. Uh, did you ever see that movie with Charlie Sheen called Arrival? The Arrival from, I don't know when it was from, the oh, late nineties. Yeah. The Arrival? No. It it was a great it was a great movie. So I'm I'm not. I'm 1996, but basically that's what I imagine. All yeah, aliens looking what, like. Was it better than Arrival? It was not better than Arrival, but it was <laughs> it was it was actually really good. I don't. Uh, I know it sounds funny with Charlie Sheen in the lead, but he he did a good job, and the movie was was well written and all that stuff. So, mm. but yeah, blobs are yeah yeah a blob could be 
real time. I mean, there, there's kind of three go-tos, you know, that I think, you know, like as far as aliens, there's just like the alien alien from alien, you know, from, from alien. There's, there, there's like some completely weird, just kind of blobby, you know, amoeba or something that, you know, looks like a, some form of a, you know, microcelled organism on earth, just much larger. Yeah. And then there's just like something with a lot of tentacles. Like, I don't know why, I don't know why it's just assume it has a lot of tentacles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I would add I would add like a I don't I don't know who who made this popular, but I'm gonna call it like the the Area fifty Area fifty one alien as well with like oh, the yeah. trapezoidal head and the big eyes. Well, yeah, that's that's well, yeah, that's the classic great yeah yeah the great, that, the great that one alien. But that's so yeah. I mean that's like uh, Na- National Enquirer I think made that one popular. That's <laughs> maybe. There's also oh, like yeah, the that's... insect kind of looking aliens too, right? Like where aliens like look like giant, like that we got that in the the last book, the long angry waiters, the whatever the last book we talked about, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, where they had like the the bugs. Uh, yeah, the, like the kind of put those insects. somewhere between like the alien alien, yeah, and mm, the yeah. And the tentacle whatever, but yeah, and, and space bugs are always a go too. And I wish there were more aliens like Marvin or. Yeah, Marvin the Martian as well, because he's great. <laughs> you got it. That's what the Tri-Center is looking at. Like. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. They, they actually look like Alf. That's that's the, that's the secret. <laughs> I mean, they got to build things. They got to have opposable thumbs or something that can something that can manipulate small objects. Yeah. Yeah, they can build droplets. Yeah, they can har- harvest a strong interaction material to build droplets and then sofons and a bunch of other ships that they send out. So So Dan Dan, you can you can spoil this for us. So the next episode is called Australia. Is that another ship or is that actually the continent on Earth? I don't think I want to spoil it for you. Oh, all right. <laughs> you have to it's uh you have to find out. Yeah. Oh, be, it's not, it's, not one, it's it's not either of those things. Oh, interesting. I don't want to spoil it for you. Like I, okay. I, I, I mean, you'll know about it soon enough. You know, our listeners make, might not have a tolerance for for spoilers in the same way I would. So, I will, I will let people read it because it's, it, yeah. I mean, the book only gets better from here. You know, I, I talk it up all the time. Uh, I, I, I do. I do kind of get how this this section is a little bit uneven because it, it's a lot of like world building and kind of like a d- bunch of different concepts uh, coming together, but. I think it's really yeah. it's, it's going to start to really gel coming forward here, and then uh, introduce a lot more cool stuff. So, yeah, it definitely felt like a, a setup section. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they have to like talk about like what sort of there is, like you know what the consequences of deterrence have been for the past you know mm-hmm. half a century or so. So there's a lot of like stuff that in that people's um, like mental state around deterrence and around the people in space, right? So there's a lot of like. Yeah, just kind of getting fuels uh, and jumping into the future, right? Like we we went like way above where where the LG went, right? Like we went 264 years into the future, so you know we have another huge jump in that. All right. Well, I hope you guys are looking forward to learning more about what the meaning of Australia is for the next episode. So thank you very much for listening. And check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, pronunciation guides. Uh, and all the other stuff that we put on there. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. 
and please join us next time for season five, episode three, Australia, covering the second half of part two of Death's End by Alyssa Shin. Thanks for listening.